0: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Turkish Breakfast Club. I'm your host, Miranda Lin. Now that we're all up to date on Kavala culture, I thought we'd widen our scope to Turkish cuisine more generally. And I'm so excited to have our guest this week, Vedat Milor. It's not a stretch to say that he is the tastemaker of Turkey. He has his own newspaper column, TV show, YouTube channel, and several websites all dedicated to reviewing restaurants and exploring Turkey's food scene. We talked about history and traditions, what makes Turkish food stand out on the international stage, and what holds it back. And of course, I asked him about Salt Bay. I'm pretty sure you will leave this episode very hungry. So without further ado, let's get to it. geldiniz, Vedat Bey. Welcome to the Turkish Breakfast Club. I am so thrilled that you agreed to join us. You are one of the most respected writers and critics of Turkish food. So I was even more surprised, because of this, that your background is actually in an academia, and that you said food was actually secondary to you before you you went to graduate school. So I was wondering, if, just to start with, if you could give me a, just a sense of. Your relationship to food when you were growing up in Turkey and sort of what was this aha moment that sparked your interest in gastronomy?
1: Aha moment was really didn't happen in Turkey. It happened at Berkeley. It didn't happen through food. It happened through wine. And uh, when I came to graduate school, still in my early 20s, well, I couldn't even afford, in the beginning, going out to restaurants with the teaching Eastern salary, but I discovered a little wine store called Kermit Lynch in Berkeley. And the worst thing, it was a bourgogne. I drank from a producer called Henri Jayer. So that was really, if there's a rupture, that was the aha moment when I tasted that wine. I said, oh my God, I mean, this is something else. It's really... Sensual and intellectual at the same time. So, uh, and gradually I started uh, saving, not saving much, but making a little more money. So I started investigating restaurants and got really interested in food, wine, uh, matching. And then I would make some comments, like when I will go to this, uh, say, to this tastings. I will make comments and people were very encouraging they asked me do you have a degree in wine you know do you this is really good comment i will say no i mean i don't so they say well you really have a good Uh, nose your comments are spot on
0: do you think your palate was informed by growing up what you're eating in turkey that it sort of developed a different palate or a different sense of these things
1: as a kid uh, i was like every other kid you know i didn't eat too many things but I was extremely selective. I remember my grandma saying that one day she prepared the rice, Turkish pilaf, with margarine because butter wasn't available. So apparently I didn't eat it. I said this different.
0: <laughs> you knew even back then as a kid that that wasn't right.
1: Uh, yeah, that is true. But I had a limited mm, repertoire, you know, in food. But I was a very curious person in all aspects of life. So I will always try new things. And gradually, I started eating more things, and I didn't have taboos. But the first time, for instance, I didn't want to eat uh, live oysters that people eat, most things. And uh, literally, uh, under the (laughs) threat, uh, because a friend of mine who lived in France told me that he would beat me up if I didn't taste it, because it was good.
0: He was trying to help you by threatening you.
1: Yeah, I tasted it. I liked it. Uh, through my travels, eating different things, tasting, comparing, coming back to Turkey, uh, going back uh, to other countries, uh, I was able to see uh, that how uh, similar ingredients are prepared very differently. So that particular comparative perspective allowed me to to identify, to understand what is specific to Turkey, our strengths, as well as our weight limits.
0: It does sound like you A lot of your formative eating experiences were based on international foods, non Turkish dishes. So, when you did come back to Turkey, did it make you reconsider the food and see its strengths and weaknesses in different ways?
1: Well, let's separate two things that two cuisines in Turkey you have a palace cuisine, plus, you have what we can call people's cuisine. They're a little bit different. Uh, The palace cuisine is obviously. just like probably Chinese uh, or French, they call it haute cuisine or more refined gastronomic cuisine. It is very cosmopolitan. You know, it has it developed throughout ages. It uh, has many components. It's quite rich, uh, and then you have uh, the uh, people's what they ate in everyday life. So this was more or less reflected also in the restaurant scenes, the so-called mehane in Turkey like you have a a bunch of pinchos or like tapas, you know, you start the meal with several little orders. It's very varied, rich uh, and colorful. Uh, This reflects more that cosmopolitan uh, palace cuisine, which is also multi-ethnic, multicultural. You really have, because in the empire, you know, we had several different uh, ethnic groups and different cultural traditions. And then you have the esnaflocantes, uh, you know, the type of dishes are cooked ahead of the time. And now you go, you see in the counter several dishes. So that's a different tradition. So we had this mosaic, that cultural mosaic was reflected in the cuisine. So when I came back to Turkey, when I looked, uh, I enjoyed that uh, tradition of uh, uh, having, you know, a really varied, uh, rich uh, cuisine. So that's the key thing that also is that we had really good ingredients like uh, especially uh, for meat, uh, the, the Anatolian uh, flora is uh, very conducive to having uh, lamb and goat. Uh, for the fauna also in the Black Sea and Marmara Sea with some, dish, some certain kinds of fish which are amazing that with a good amount of fat and also uh, I thought at the time that people were extremely sophisticated for instance i met people who would only eat a, let's say a lüfer, which is a kind of blue fish when it's coming uh, from from black sea to uh, bosphorus and at a certain point caught uh, under you know those strong currents that's uh, so it gets more fatty and eats i'm not joking only the mice
0: i'm sorry what fish are eating mice and this is a good thing
1: yes because when uh when the puffer eats the mice it gets even tastier so such uh, people with such sophistication about fish i only met in japan
0: they could they could taste they could pick out oh this one has had mice this one uh hasn't or this one is in yes, yes, the current I,
1: i'm i uh, really I, i'm not joking it's really true uh, with that expectations so there are also people extremely uh, sophisticated about it so i tried to learn from them i'm being an academic uh, i'm also good in asking questions so were you and,
0: also able to uh, teach your yourself to to pick out the the mice flavor in, in these fish
1: no, actually, I failed. I mean, I couldn't like that person who that because he would tell me this one, but that seems like uh, a very specific
0: skill uh, to develop.
1: That's very specific skill. So yeah, I mean, that's uh, I I seen, and uh, so in that case, I thought Turkey is a little bit like Italy. You know, in Italy too, you go to different parts. There's always a different region, different cuisines, and they're very proud of it. They uh, uh, and they uh, try to maintain the
0: Traditions, well, that's interesting because I, for me, I, I get a strong sense of this tradition. You see a lot of places that say this is the same recipe that my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather used. Like it's down to a T. We've maintained every single part of the, the ingredients and the way that we make it. We've preserved it perfectly. And then there's the other side that do a lot of research to try and recreate Ottoman palace recipes. But it seems in a lot of senses that the traditions of either the palace or of the people it's very history focused, but that trying to find innovations to that, twists on that, combining it with cuisines from other parts of the world, that seems to be more lacking from what I've sensed so far in Turkish cuisine. And I wonder if you feel the same way that the traditions can sometimes be a limitation on how Turkish cuisine is, is presented and developed.
1: I, I agree. Uh, there's a very fine line between maintaining tradition versus uh, becoming uh, rigid and chauvinistic about food. I mean that. So I think when you look at uh, countries or regions that are really rich in uh, certain things and traditions, uh, in a way, uh, they develop through uh, cross-fertilization, I call it. Something that most people don't know is French Noël cuisine, which is great, developed in the 60s, and changed the way people looked at the French cuisine. And many ideas came from Japan. but uh, The chefs discovered Japan, they came back. By the same token, many Japanese came to French kitchens and they took back some ideas <clears throat> and techniques, etc. So there is these things, I would say, uh, in Turkish I mean, there's no room for, uh, you know, the uh, rigid, uh, narrow-minded nationalism in cuisine. I mean, one can shouldn't approach to it.
0: Well, I would think that Turkey would be perfect for that. It's at the cro- literally at the crossroads of East and West. Historically, every like you said, it's a super cosmopolitan. Every culture has passed through it. You would assume then that it would be some of the most, exper- or maybe not experimental, but the most diverse sort of cuisine in the world, that there would be influences from every part of the, the world.
1: You will think that, but uh, in practice, for a long time right now, especially in the last uh, 20, 30 years or so, 20, 30 years, the uh, protective reaction ref- uh, reflex has been ascendant and is trying to suppress the more universal uh, multicultural multi- uh, elements. So you also see that in in cuisine.
0: Do you think that's coming from the chefs that are trying to protect their recipes or from the diners who are only demanding that they are served uh, their traditional... That's a
1: very good question. I cannot analytically and statistically separate that, but I'll say that it's coming less from the chefs, more from the diners' expectation, the change in composition of the clientele. And changing uh, composition of the country. I think uh, what has been happening here that the chefs who try to be a little more, uh, let's call it creative, try new things, etc. They are unable to get recognition. I can give examples, but I have many chefs that I know, young chefs who came to Turkey, they created really, they did great dishes. Uh, but it wasn't appreciated. They either went back to U.S. or they are flipping burgers or selling their started a different kind of operation. They are making more money now by making more simple things because people didn't really appreciate that. So that protections reflect somehow is very, really, very strong among uh, the, the clients.
0: I- Suppose what's also complicating it now for diners is social media has become such a big part of the dining experience as well, of both promoting new chefs in restaurants and sort of sharing your experience, and it's become very online. And some of the, the biggest names I can think of in Turkish cuisine are Nusret, Salt Bay and the Jayzenne chef Burak, who've become you know these viral sensations online, who've been able to open branches in New York and Dubai based off of their success online. International diners, as well as you know the, a certain section of domestic eaters, are all being brought into this idea that this is Turkish cuisine, this is authentic food, this is the experience that we should all be going after. I mean, how do you feel about? this advent of, of social media, these social media chefs, and how it's changing the perception of, of your cuisine.
1: I mean, I guess there's clearly sociological reasons. I mean, people will, Turks will like it because especially when, if you look at Istanbul, let's say a place like that, and you meet uh, Turkish, if you, there are very few people in Istanbul, you can ask, our parents were born in Istanbul. Most people came from uh, poverty and at a time where, uh, you know, the food uh, was a scarce resource. You know, I mean, there was a real struggle to feed the family, which created actually good food because I think Cucina Povera sometimes really creates tasty food. Uh, so, but uh, right now uh, it's a status symbol. You know, you have to say that I arrived, you know, to the world, you know, sort of the Rich, uh, and so it's one way to say I arrive. One thing was important: steak, lots of meat, because in the end, in the typical Turkish cuisine, the meat is a very scarce resource, was expensive, so I use in small quantities, if at all. And it's also a symbol to say I spent that much money for it. You know, it's, uh, I can afford it. You know, I had this huge uh, porterhouse or, or whatnot. <laughs> eating at Nusret is the new Rolex? Uh, uh, uh, yes, you're, you know, the bigger is better, you know, the, I'm going to build the, uh, I don't know, the tallest minaret, the biggest mosque, you know, that type of emphasis on quantity over quality. This shows a certain refinement of Lektarov, but nonetheless, you know, it's a class position, it's a cultural symbol, it's a status symbol. So uh, that jibes extremely well, what you are seeing with the modern Turkish. So how am I supposed to feel about it? I, uh, stayed, uh, uh, I stayed as a spectator. Uh, and it amuses me, actually. I, mean, I, so I
0: But are you not at all offended that this is now the face of Turkish o cuisine for some people? No.
1: Why would I be offended? Because, you know... Why will I will find it? I mean, I as I say, I, you don't argue with success. It's amusing. It's uh, it is cute. I mean, uh, uh, so I... <laughs>
0: but do you think that Turkish cuisine is sort of being misrepresented to the world? I've had conversations with friends who say, oh my God, I love Turkish food. It's my favorite kind of food. Um, I love shawarma so much. And it's made me realize that a lot of people have just grouped Turkish food in with all Middle Eastern food and have really confused the lines of what Turkey is, both geographically, but also in its food and culture.
1: I mean, it's uh, sure because uh, many things came to uh, Turkey from other parts of the empire, you know, that's uh, what, at least, Developing Turkey is iskandar kebab, you know, in Bursa, and it's uh, the one family created it. You know, the to cut the doner to use ground meat as opposed to like shawarma is the whole piece of meat. In the doner, there's ground meat to put it with bread, pide, uh, yogurt, tomato sauce, and other parts of the meat. For instance, that's developed in Bursa. Uh, but I don't see a, a. I look more at the quality. So it doesn't bother me at all who came first with something. In the end, who, who does best about it really matters. Uh, I think there is nothing wrong about it. Actually, it's a good thing. If your ideas are used by other people, it means that you have some uh, good ideas that people think worth copying. Uh, but the, the key thing is to do it the best. And if, you, if I eat the best donor uh, in Germany, then I will say, well, they deserve it. I mean, they, it's good we had. And uh, I still think that there are certain things, like there are some amazing uh, kebab place in Turkey, but the problem is that they are not really differentiated. So maybe the one problem with social media that it blurs the difference between what is good and what is bad. And there are so many in the time of social media influencers, the type of people who are not, may or may not have a good palate, but basically they're paid to say certain things. That's like being a commercial.
0: For them, as long as it looks good, it tastes good.
1: That's exactly true. So to me, the challenge here for Turkey is that I'm not seeing a creative Darwinian process at Turkey. So the the good ones will survive. So in Turkey, I'm seeing, unfortunately, a negative uh, process where the good ones are disappearing because they cannot differentiate themselves because they don't know how to adapt to social media or because they will be a little more expensive.
0: So hopefully my listeners are all very savvy eaters and want to support the the uh, restaurants that are doing things properly and maintaining the, the right traditions. Say if I'm walking down a street and I see usually there, there's lots of, of the similar restaurants all in a row. So if I see, you know, three or four P-Day places all together, what should I be looking for? Do you have tips that you identify, uh, this place is is maybe a good one, that they've, they're have they doing things the right way? Uh, Aside from just try eating every single one of them, which is also an I, option. I
1: mean, uh, yeah, that uh, won't be easy. I mean, you can see if they have an oven, for instance, at least, because you won't see which... Uh, the ingredients they use, but at least if they have the right uh, pide oven, you know, which is a, a kind of wood fired oven, it has to be a wood fire oven. You can see, you can look if there is a ustadar who is rolling himself with the hand of pide. Uh, that's, I think that's one thing I'll look at. I'll probably look also how many pidas they offer because a good place will offer three or four kinds, but they won't offer uh, the the only missing thing is, we say, myself in the pida. I mean, if they offer with 200 ingredients, you know, different pidas. Just That's like that. too much. Yeah, you may suspect. Smaller, I look at the size. Usually, everything has equal Ceteris paribus, let's say. Small is better because they don't make as many pide, you know, they are making fewer pide. Finally, I won't enter to, to the, in general, not only pide, but to restaurants that they see, oh, you are un Turkish and almost pull you on your arms, you know, they, because those true usually are shy people, they are timid, they do their jobs. Uh, you know, they really don't say, hey, come, might be me best, this, this, this is the number one, me number one, you know. But in general, it's true. The more people talk about how great they are, the more one can suspect. The more people talk about, you know, how other people are thieves, you suspect that uh, or talk about virtue. Too much talking, you know, not enough the, rolling of the person. dough. I mean, I look at such things. I mean, building your... Uh, uh, instinct. And, uh, you know, uh, that's all one can really do.
0: Now, before I let you go, I have to get some recommendations from you for your favorite restaurants. Now that Turkey is opening up again, where can people go eat to get the best of Turkish cuisine?
1: Let's put that way. If I have a foreign guest, let's say, non- uh, Turkish, I took really, uh, what do I do? I take to one mehane, uh, one or two kebab. Do you recommend
0: uh, di- names two. for each of them? Your favorite mehane, your favorite kebab?
1: I mean, uh, for kebab, there are uh, two, three really good ones, but for the atmosphere, it's small. And I like uh, kebab uh, that you see the ojak, you know, you see the grill, you know, the list, huh? For instance, I like in uh, Kurtulush Adana, ojak basher. That's really okay. good. Uh, for Mehane, I like in Balat, Sahil Mehane uh, is really, really, really good. Uh, I, for uh, uh, kind of uh, upper and Turkish cuisine, I mean, a very good chef uh, that is in Nishanta Shekhun Feridun Bey, yes, he's a very good cookman and he also has great palate like a good beret, okay, whatever he does, he does well.
0: Uh, you're traveling right now to the U.S., but back in Turkey, what restaurant are you most excited to go back to? Like, what is the first one you want to try when is you a, get back?
1: As I gave you a few names. Which one I say depends on my mood. Uh, do I want kebab? Do I want fish? Do I want to go to Mehane? Do I want to eat classic? For fish, for instance, uh, a meze, I like clear. Uh, uh, in uh, Tarabia here. But for me, also, uh, wine goes with food, or food food and wine or ruckus sometimes.
0: Or well, well, another question I have is, if you had your ideal day of eating, where you get to choose your favorite breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a drink, where would those places be? Like your perfect dream day.
1: Well... I wouldn't have. Uh, usually, I have one meal a day, a serious meal. I mean, really, I you
0: only have one meal, meal a day.
1: No, I mean, I if I know that I'm going to have a serious dinner. I typically you have a
0: lighter uh, meal ahead of time.
1: Uh, well, my breakfast will consist of a, a cappuccino and a maybe croissant.
0: Imagine like you have like an infinite stomach that can accommodate all of the food and all of the drink that you want in one day. You're
1: talking about Turkey, right? What I will have. It
0: can be international, international food in Turkey if you'd like, but let's say based in Turkey.
1: In Turkey well, I mean, I had the best breakfast actually outside Istanbul in places like Diyarbakır or so that uh, I enjoy very much for breakfast to things that uh, Turks do really well, but not, you shouldn't buy from supermarket from home, homes, uh, Biber salsas, tomato paste, and uh, uh, domated salsas uh, with olive oil. I like Zatar, you know, those type of things. The biber salsas reminds me a lot of something Calabrian I love called anduya. Ah, uh,
0: yes, right. I
1: really like, for instance, that of like, andouja yeah, is very good in pizza too. Right now, it's becoming very popular in the U.S., I put on my toast spreads and doya, for instance, and little drops of olive oil, uh, which Mm -hmm. I like good olive oil. And so I like in my breakfast, say those bibar salsas, domates uh, salsas, maybe a tulum painery if you can find good ones. One or a few recharge jams, homemade recharge, a little uh, walnuts with tulum cheese.
0: Do you have a specific place you go to in Diyarbakır?
1: Yeah, Diyarbakır, there was kahvaltıcı, I, I believe the name was Mustafa, right? And Im, unbelievable uh, for uh, also the price is unbelievable. That was amazing. I don't know, dinner I really like in mehane, so I'll go to sahil mehane. And uh, lunch, uh, I may really get the uh, iskender kebab, you know. Uh,
0: in Bursa uh, or is there well, one in Istanbul? They, Istanbul like
1: they have the same families. Uh, there are places, for instance, in uh, uh, Akaretler or you know in the Beşiktaş. They have the same İskender İskenderoğlu. Uh, you can really get a true İskender kebab. Of course, you can also get in Bursa. Uh, I love a nice İskender, <laughs> İskender. And in the, I shouldn't also forget Konya kebab. For instance, if you want uh, a good uh, tander, konya tander, which is slowly cooked uh, in wood fire oven inside a pot, and it's flavored only with salt and little pepper, uh, and it cooks very slowly, and really the meat uh, becomes like even if you put a little uh, what you call it fiske, you know, you just just touch it, it starts falling apart for instance, yeah and also lake mek for konya lash in kazaskash i mean you can really go there and have uh, lake mek is this for oh, still
0: for lunch or was that uh, bled over into dinner that's sure
1: that's that ordonat let's say i mean you say if in stomach okay let's say for lunch uh, but there, the big thing is that i if i may say this the fact that turkish cuisine is not uh, complemented by wine is a serious drawback. The reason is wine and food, they are in a symbiotic relationship. On the one hand, uh, they encourage one another to, to do better because they complement and they contribute. But the second thing, when you drink wine or rakka, you stay longer in the table. So the, the fact that you stay longer, you have a chance to try small portions of more thing as opposed to eating really fast. So one big drawback of Turkish culture, it has never been um, associated or complemented with wine. And in the end, I think pizza versus pide lahmacun, why pizza is so paramount, because I can take my girlfriend, my partner, we can stay a long time with a pizza with a nice wine. Is unthinkable with lahmacun or with pide, you know, it's not known. You know, not. So you have to eat fast. And, go out. So in the world, we always wonder why, why, why? I mean, because unless you make it more refined, unless people can come stay a couple hours for a long night, you know, open a nice one with it, it's, uh, then it's always going, it's bound to be uh, a fast food. So I, since we are doing on Turkish gastronomy, in the end, that if you want to take it to a, a international scale, it has to uh, be combined. Uh, with, uh, I will say, uh, with wine. So I will also tell the last thing then to the nice people who are uh, listening to us that uh, one has to open the windows. I mean, there is never the best. There's always a new discovery. One should be curious about food, about wine, and about how the two go together, uh, if you care about it. Uh, But at the time you think that, oh, well, this is, I, I found it, Eureka. There's always a new possibility which will show you a new dimension of something.
0: Well, that seems like the right note to end this meal on. Thank you so much to Vedat Milor for all his thoughts and recommendations. I hope you're all sufficiently hungry now. I'm already looking up flights to Diyarbakır. As always, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share with your friends. You can also see more from us on Facebook and Instagram at The Turkish Breakfast Club. I'll be putting up the list of restaurants mentioned in this episode there so we can all start fighting for reservations. But until next time, Guru shiru's.